Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand all for free. There's no credit card needed and there's no sign up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Pluto TV is free on all of your favorite devices. So download Pluto TV today. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started, because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. And here we go. Episode 50, I can't believe 50. Of my No Excuses podcast. I'm John Taffer. Hello. And man, I'm still coming down from last night, Corey. Unbelievable. Oh, I know. It was crazy. So yesterday, Sunday, was a huge day for me. We had a bar rescue marathon, a very special one, all about relationships. Nicole and I did interstitials here last week uh, in a Las Vegas location. Uh, which were those little 30-second and one-minute pieces that you saw between episodes, uh, just of us together as a couple, all in a couple's theme. And then last night at 10 o'clock was the uh, premiere of Marriage Rescue, which I've been talking about, but I never really talked that much about it, other than it was happening, because I wanted to keep the show, obviously, a a secret to everybody. And uh, I was pretty excited. The social media was hot. It looked like the show is going to be a huge success, and I'll know the numbers tomorrow, and that's the frustration about the television business, particularly on Sunday night. You see, if you're on TV Monday night, you get the numbers Tuesday morning, the next day, Corey. Ah, okay. But when you're on TV Sunday night, you don't get the freaking numbers till Tuesday. So you got to sweat bullets all day Monday, which is today, to hear how you did. But uh, uh, I'm really pleased because not last Sunday, but... Two weeks before, which was the last bar rescue of the season, was our highest ratings for the whole season. Wow. So bar rescue went up all season long. So we had a new bar rescue last night at 9 o'clock leading into the premiere of Marriage Rescue. So Marriage Rescue is actually created by the Paramount Network for me. And normally, you know, people like me create a show and pitch it to the network, which I've done. Or production companies will come and pitch a show to me, and if I like the idea, they'll sign me on board, and then we'll go pitch it to the network. But normally, uh, uh, guys like me either do the pitching with an idea or get pitched from a production company. It's very rare in the television business when a network uh, uh, comes to you and says, hey, if you do this show, we won't even do a pilot. We'll take it right to series. Wow. And that's what happened with Marriage Rescue. So Paramount came to me and said, listen, John, we've got a great idea. Uh, we think and the fans think and all the research says that everybody's favorite part of Bar Rescue is the personal part when you get involved in relationships. And sometimes, Corey, it was brothers and sisters and cousins. Sometimes it's married couples. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, I've always made Bar Rescue personal and I've always felt that I can't help their business if I don't change their personal mindset in many cases or fix their relationship with their spouse or their brother or their sister or their partner or sometimes their employees or their managers. So I always felt that fixing relationships was the first part of fixing a business anyway. 
And but I've got to tell you, when I when I when I shot Marriage Rescue, it really changed my opinion in a lot of ways, and I'll talk about that in a moment. So, the network calls me, says, "John, we'd like to do this Marriage Rescue. Uh, uh, obviously, have you executive produce it and star in it." And uh, uh, we're not quite sure what the creative is, but if, if you like the idea, we'll sit down and we'll figure it out together. And we would initially buy six episodes. Well, in the television world, that's a big deal. When the network, who's the buyer, comes to you and says, listen, if you do this, we'll buy six of them, no pilot, no nothing. And I love my network. You know, I love all the executives and people I work with in the network. I've been on the network now nine years, so these are good friends of mine. We spend a lot of time together. So I said, sure. So we figured out the creative of Marriage Rescue. I shot six episodes, and we did it over about seven weeks in Puerto Rico, and we brought in two couples every week. So every week I was dealing with two couples at the same time, and I bounced back and forth between the two, and when one was doing this, the other was doing that, and we coordinated it all, and, and we shot the entire series in about seven weeks in Puerto Rico. And here's some fun inside stuff about Marriage Rescue. First of all, we made the couple stay in separate rooms. Corey, you're not allowed to stay together. You know why? Why? No makeup sex. Ah, okay. And what would happen is, you know, couples that are fighting have some makeup sex. The next morning, everything's fine, but by afternoon, you're fighting again. Right. Why only have you for four days? So I don't want the artificial (laughs) result of makeup sex, that temporary thing that happens when couples don't get along, but suddenly they get along incredibly for three hours. So I actually had every couple in separate rooms. I had production assistants sitting outside their rooms to make sure they stayed in separate rooms and that there was no intimacy those days so that we could keep it all real and keep it all factual. And then in some cases, uh, I spoke to them together. Some cases, I spoke to them alone. But it was intense. And when I was offered this opportunity, I saw it as a huge responsibility. And if I'm going to help people with their marriage, children involved, homes involved, in theory, generations involved in what happens there, Corey, grandchildren, everything, yeah. I better damn well know what I'm doing. So here's what I did. I read a bunch of books on marriage therapy. I watched some videos on marriage therapy. And then I also realized that all 12 of the couples that, I, uh, that were on marriage rescue had all been to marriage therapy and failed. So I noticed some marriage therapists probably listening are going to hate what I'm about to say. But if marriage therapy failed with them, then that was my ticket to do something different. So I read about marriage therapy and I read about the traditional processes and therapeutic uh, elements that they go through and the kind of questions. And I read and I learned all that stuff, put a lot of time into it. And then I said to myself, okay, I read all this, I know all this, I get all this now, but it didn't freaking work for these 12 people. So I know now what a professional therapist would do, not that I say I've been to school three years, but I understand the process, I understand the kind of questioning. I have a good understanding of the process that they would go through. So now with the respect of that process, I'm going to throw it away with the knowledge in my head and do it completely my way. And that's what I did. So, so I went at it in a very direct way. And here's what I found, Corey, was a big deal. You know, if you were married and having a problem and you go to a therapist, that therapist wants to see you next week, doesn't he, Corey? Oh, of course. He wants that next check, doesn't right. he? He also feels that you have to come to him, you know, for weeks, if not months, to get better. So he's not going to say things to you that make you not come back, is he? No. So if he thinks you're a complete ass, he won't quite tell you that. <laughs> 
Because if he does, he's not going to get his next check or his next appointment or he's not going to fulfill his therapeutic process. With me, there was no freaking next week. <laughs> so I could say anything I wanted to you, Corey. It's like bar rescue. I don't mind if you hate me today because I believe you won't hate me in the end. And that's the trick to so many things in life. You know, if we want to be loved every minute, we wind up being a wimp, don't we, Corey? Because we never stand up for ourselves. Yeah, it's true. All we want to do is be liked, be liked, be liked, be liked. You know, being liked all the time is stupid. So sometimes you benefit by not being liked, understanding that you will be liked tomorrow. So when we raise children, there's times our kids look at us and say, I hate you, Dad. Watch. I know they're not going to hate you tomorrow. So you got to stick up for yourselves. And in these cases, I was very direct and very honest with these people, and I laid it on the line. So marriage rescue is really intense in a very, very different way than bar rescue is. And here's the big lesson that I learned. Businesses are all personal. If a business owner doesn't have great relationships with his partners, his customers, and his employees, that business will fail. So a business is first and foremost personal. You know what I'm saying, Corey? Yeah. It is. If you and I don't like each other and you know, don't enjoy being together, right. and how the hell are we going to work together? Yeah, it's true. You know, if, if I don't think that, that I'm significant to you and if you don't think you're important to me and significant to me, how the hell do we work together? Yeah. If we can't connect and communicate together, how the hell do we work together? So all of the things that are key to a great marriage are also key to personal life. So I learned that a business is first personal. But then I also learned that more than 50% of the divorces in this country happen because of money. So if businesses are first personal, personal is also business, isn't it? Yeah. So there's really a very fuzzy line between managing a professional relationship and managing a personal relationship. There isn't that much of a difference. And that's what I learned most in Bar Rescue is that that dealing with personal issues first is what makes businesses better. When a partner feels important, he's quick to write that check, isn't he, Corey? Mm -hmm. You know, when a partner feels important and things are going bad, he's in there with you. Oh, yeah. When you communicate well with a partner, he's right there with you, isn't he, Carl? Oh, of course. You know, when, when a partner feels we're both contributing, he's right there with you, isn't he? Yep. The minute he feels insignificant or loses connection wow. or feels you're not contributing, then it doesn't matter what's going on in the business. You're screwed, buddy. Right. Because your partner relationship or your employee relationships are falling apart. So no matter what it is in our lives, whether it's professional, personal, marital, family, it all starts with the relationship, the humanity, the connection. Do we make other people feel significant like we should our spouses? Do we connect with other people, look in their eyes, talk to them, connect with them? Do we contribute to what other people like? Do we make them smile? Do we make them feel good? Do we give them money? Whatever the hell it is, do they get something out of their relationship with us? These are the key elements of either a marriage or a business relationship. So I went at Marriage Rescue in a very methodical and very direct way, and I'd love to hear 
some comments that you guys might have about the show. So feel free to send me notes, post any comments you want on social media. I really want to hear what you think about Marriage Rescue, and I can't wait to see the numbers tomorrow night. You know, I'm a small business advocate. I love small business. I fight for small business. And at the Hartford, they understand that there's nothing small in small business. As a small business owner, you're busy. You have a ton of big decisions to make every day. And the last thing you want to do is worry about your small business insurance. With coverage from the Hartford, you just don't have to. With over 200 years of experience and over 1 million customers, they are specialists in small business. From workman's compensation to professional liability, commercial auto, and more, the Hartford offers a wide range of small business insurance products you can keep focused on what you love, knowing that they're behind you every step of the way. Learn more at thehartford.com slash smallbusiness. Corey. What's that, John? This is our 50th episode. It is. I'm pretty excited. So I thought we'd do something cool. So I love everybody who listens to this show. And last night, I actually missed the premiere of Marriage Rescue, Corey. I didn't watch it. Did you really? And I missed the premiere of my own television show. Ask me why, Corey. Why? Because I was at the Critics' Choice Awards Ah. at the Beverly Hilton in Hollywood. Bar Rescue was nominated for a Critics' Choice Award for Best Business Show. Wow. That's terrible timing. And, and Good news. The, but. And the show will be on VH1 next week, but the awards were actually last night. Oh, okay. And in my category, I was up against Shark Tank, Gordon Ramsay's 24 Hours. By the way, Gordon is a friend uh, 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 and, and terrific, a great guy. And T-Pain's business show, and the name of that show, forgive me, escapes me. So those were the four in the category, Bar Rescue, Shark Tank, Gordon Ramsay, 24-Hour, and T-Pain's Business Show. And, uh, boy, everybody said, hey, you guys got a chance of winning. But it was an amazing honor to be nominated for Critics' Choice Award. I, I've never loved fans and media and people more than, than, than I did last night. I've never felt so recognized. You know, to achieve something so great. So we all went there, the dinner, all the producers, and everybody was there. And, and even met people like the guy from Cash Cab. <laughs> oh, well. All these reality stars were there. And ask me if I won, Corey. Did you win? I didn't win. Oh, man. Shark Tank won Best Business Show for the year. But you know what? Shark Tank's a heck of a show. Yeah, it is. And, and if I'm going to lose, you know, I, I was very comfortable losing to Shark Tank. So last night I was in Hollywood at the Critics' Choice Award. I missed a premiere of Marriage Rescue. But it, it was an honor. And you know, it makes you really appreciate fans and the people that communicate with me online and download, download our podcasts. And I just want to take a second and tell you how much that means to me and how much I appreciate every single one of you. I never turned down an autograph. I never turned down a photo. I never turned down a phone call uh, because I have such unbelievable respect for the time that you choose to give to me. And that's an incredible thing to me. And Critics' Choice, how many people download this podcast? Sure, there are numbers on a piece of paper, but it's very personal to me. And the fact that you take the time or give some of your time to spend with me, whether it's Bar Rescue, Marriage Rescue, social media, this podcast, is one of the greatest gifts in my life. So I wanted to thank you all. So here's my idea, Corey. What's you got? I want to give away some uh, uh, Taffer stickers. 
Oh, okay. I even have Taffer for President stickers from last year, which are a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, we can throw those in there. We got some Shut It Down buttons. Yeah. Which everybody loves. We got some Shut It Down t-shirts, right? Mm-hmm. And we have a bunch of Don't Bullshit Yourself books. We even have some Raise the Bar books. So here's the deal. All I need you to do is send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com with a screenshot showing that you subscribed to my No Excuses podcast. And my producer, Corey, will randomly pick five winners who are going to get Taffer stickers, a shut it down button, a shut it down T-shirt, and an autographed Don't Bullshit Yourself book. So do it now. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts. Go to Podcast One or the Podcast One app. Download it now. Take a screenshot. Send it in. And, Corey, here's the deal. What's that? I want you to take these emails, and I want you to somehow figure out a random way. I don't want to know what you do to pick out five winners. And those five winners are going to get the stickers, a shut it down button, a shut it down T-shirt, and a don't bullshit yourself book all autographed. So there we go. That's sort of a little fun thing that we can do for our 50th podcast. And Rick Harrison is my buddy. You all know Rick. Rick is the star uh, of Pawn Stars and the owner of the Gold and Silver Pawn Shop on Las Vegas Boulevard here in Las Vegas. Rick is a dear friend of mine. He's on the epilepsy board, does a lot of great charitable work here in Las Vegas. Rick is a really, really good guy. And this is the first time ever, Corey, this is historic. First time I've ever invited a guest back on the No Excuses podcast. And it's because Rick and I have such interesting conversations. We can talk about American history. He's a real history buff. Knows a lot about our founding fathers and our constitution and the creation of our country. He's a real patriot. He knows a lot about antiques and values and guns and collectibles. He also knows a lot about the city of Las Vegas. Rick is also a car nut, a motorcycle nut. So it's always great to have Rick here. So here he is. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Every car comes with its share of stories. That thing in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. And while you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or just trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions, navigation, moonroof, etc., and watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. And once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True car cash offer not available in all states. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. Okay, so this is a, a great for me. This is my first ever second appearance of the same guest on, on my podcast because I love Rick so much. So uh, welcome, Rick. It's good to see you again, buddy. Uh, thanks for having me back. You're my first ever second guest. We're both Vegas boys. Yeah. I love you. And in full disclosure, Rick and I have dinner together. You know, we're both Las Vegas guys. So it's always fun when our paths, uh, our paths cross. So as a guy who's now in the seventh season of Bar Rescue, I'm blown away. How many seasons of Blood Stars now? Um, I guess it's 17. 17. So how many episodes is that, Rick? I think I'm up to 570. 570. Now, I'm blown away. I've done 178, and that to me is overwhelming. 570 episodes. So, honestly, did you ever think 
that it would ever go this long? No, no, no. I mean, because like for lack of a better term, it's just always a media whore. And yeah. every time I got like national press, it was always good for business. So I figured, hey, if I get a se- I should get one of these reality shows. If I get a season or two, it might be great for business. Yeah. I never thought it would turn into this. I mean, like uh, next month is uh, 10 years on the air. Yeah. For me, nine years. <laughs> you know, it's incredible. When I did it, I never even thought I'd have a season two. I almost thought that was like an obnoxious thought. How dare you even, you know, suppose you would have such success. Well, Did you ever even envision a season two when you started? Well, well no, because like we, I, I threw a big party on the, the night of the premiere and uh, like five, you know, and then, you know, then the show comes on all the TVs and like five minutes later I walk outside and Corey comes out and goes, what's going on? He goes like, this sucks. No one's ever going to watch that. <laughs> Little did you know. Yeah. And uh, it turned out it was the highest rated premiere ever on History Channel. And I think that's because people were going through their cable guide and thought it said something besides Pawn Stars. <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> it worked. And uh, like I said, now I'm on 150 countries, 38 languages. Uh, uh, I get um, 3,000 people a day in the pawn shop in right around that. Shop. Wow. You know, Dr. Phil is a good friend of mine. And Dr. Phil says getting on TV is one thing. Staying on TV is another. Yeah. And and how do you keep it fresh for yourself? Because I have challenges with that. So you're going to go in now. You're going to do your 280th Porn Stars or whatever episode. You're starting a new season. How do you keep it fun, Rick? Well, I mean, well, one of the great things about my show is it's, it's not like a motorcycle show or something. It's like they redo a motorcycle. There's only so many things you can do a motorcycle. It truly right. is different every week. Um, I refuse to do drama. Yep. Okay. Um, like I always tell the producers and everything, I will never do a television show. I'd be embarrassed for my mother to watch. And um, So throwing food is out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's still going to be no fights on my show. And uh, no, I just I, – um, I try and keep it interesting. Uh, every season I've switched up a little bit. Now, now I have hour-long episodes. Yeah. Um, um, so – this, what are they called? They have a different name, the hour-long episodes, right? No, is it's it, still Pawn Stars. But there's something else I saw. Pawn – there's another. Uh, 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 I don't know. They might have changed the tagline on it. Yeah. yeah. I guess they're taking some of the old shows and they're creating best moments and they're trying well, to package it a little bit. Well, yeah. They 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 they're, they're always short. They do do uh, a lot of like best of shows and right. stuff like that. Right. Um, no, but uh, you know, so uh, this season I do like we're calling them deeper dives where I go like you know do like five or ten minutes on like the history of one of the items yeah. and then. Um, no, just switch it up a little bit and keep it interesting. You know, yeah. this season, season I'm about to start filming. We're going to do a lot of traveling. I'm going to go to Europe. I'm going to go all over the country. And That's fun. So, yeah. so that makes it really fresh. What a lot of people don't know about you is, you know, I, I, get, I get the honor of knowing you personally. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you're authentic. You are Rick. You know, whether you're standing behind a counter, whether you're on television, whether you're doing your game show, yeah. whether you're sitting at a board at a charity event, uh, you're just Rick. And your love of history preceded all of this didn't it well yeah i mean i didn't become a celebrity until i was in my 40s and so i had a normal life before that i mean you i mean i've got so many celebrities that became a celebrity when they're uh, really young and have no perception of what life really is so, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you know and um i uh you know i've just sort of like part of my life i won't hang out with anybody that won't call me a douchebag when i'm acting like one <laughs> <laughs> you want honesty right you know what's interesting is it happened to me late in life also and i look at some of these young celebrities and i bet you're going to agree with this if you look at some of these young celebrities that don't have the experience of life yet and a celebrity hit them too young you and i were successful before we were on tv yeah we had money in the bank we had families we had a life. We had a place. So TV came late to us in life. Do you think 
you appreciate it more because of that? Well, yeah, I definitely appreciate it. I, mean, I hear like these young, some of these celebrities on television, they've like, been on celebrities forever and like who've never made a payroll in their entire life, right. okay, um, have not read one scientific paper in their life and they go on and on about all these different things. I'm like, are you, you know, they're, they're, you're going to teach me about uh, economics right. because you're good at reading things and repeating them in front of a camera? That makes you like, you know, Right, because you read a teleprompter. Yeah, yeah. let's uh, let's see some like you know real accomplishments in life. Yeah, you know, try and survive a business through uh, like the economic town downturn or something like that, that and continue to give your employees medical insurance and everything else. And um, when you're bleeding a hundred grand a month, yeah, I'm totally with you. And and I say that all the time. You know, in my business, there's a lot of chefs on Food Network, and they go to chef school today to be on television. Not even to be a freaking chef. Yeah. So they don't even really know how to run a kitchen. They've never made a payroll, as you say, Rick. They've mm-hmm. never invested a dime in anything. But, you know, but they're the greatest expert on television because they can read a teleprompter. Yeah. What, what I love about you is, is uh, your love of this country and your, not only patriotism, but your depth of knowledge of American history, history as a whole, how much you read mm-hmm. and, and how much knowledge you've absorbed in your life. And I wanted to ask you a couple of fun questions. Okay. Knowing you, and, and let me let the audience know, so Rick is a, a bit of a history buff, and Rick is a real uh, patriot, and one of the greatest things about Rick when I met you is on the back of your business cards, every business card has a quote from a founding father. Yeah. And give me an example of one, if you can, from the top of your head. Um, like um, George Mason, um, who are the militia? All the people are the militia, except for a few select politicians. Uh <laughs> So, so, and everyone is different. Yeah. So, so you've assembled these quotes, but they're not just quotes to you. They're, they're, they're rules that you live by. It's well, a philosophy. It, it, it means something to okay. you. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at the founding fathers, okay? You know, they were men. They weren't gods or anything. They had their flaws, but they, these were people, I mean, you don't see people like this. They would, they risked, their, okay, they risked their life all their property. Remember, this is the 1700s. Their family would have been destroyed, everything else, okay, because on a set of values yeah. um, that, um, you know, all men were created equal. You know what I mean? Just, you know, your station, you know, just because your da- mom and dad became, were from, you know, royalty or, you know, mm-hmm. nobility or something like that, they were in no way, you know, in no way were those people better than you. In every else in the world, that's the, those are the rules that applied. Yeah, this was a country. No matter who you were, you could eventually become. You could become successful in business. You could do whatever you wanted to do. It was up to you. It was up to you. And like we, you know, we had slavery in the beginning, but like uh, we eventually changed it all. I mean, we this country has always strived to be a better country. Um, we had, um, you know, by 1900, we had the highest living standard in the world. We still do. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see. You'll see magazine articles and stuff like that. This this country's got a great standard of living. They can't touch us. I guarantee. You know, they'll mention like countries in Europe. Every money in Europe wants to come here. Absolutely. You know, you get Bernie Sanders talking about like Finland. Like, if you make fifty thousand dollars a year in Finland, you're going to pay right around forty five percent in income tax. That's why the suicide rates are so high there. The alcoholism rates are so high there. It's a tough life there. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the other thing, he's always mentioning Finland. I love it because since Finland doesn't even have a minimum wage. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is a story I, I tell when I go out to like do speeches and stuff like that. In the eighteen, right around eighteen fifty, the de facto watch capital of the world was London. I mean, just about every pocket watch, probably eighty percent of the pocket watches were made in London. 
But right around that time, inexpensive machines, really good inexpensive machine tools started popping up. So little watch companies started popping up in the United States. By 1890, the best watches in the world, hands down, 100% were American watches. So much so that like English and European watchmakers were putting American-sounding names on their watches. That's why Congress had to pass a bill saying that the... The country of origin on your watch has to be printed right on the dial. Wow. So that was an American rule that created yeah, – Because in London at the time – because in London, it took 17 different guilds to make a watch. You could make the dial of a watch, but you couldn't paint it. Wow. Okay. I mean it was just because all that bureaucracy and government involved in business just destroyed their watch industry. And in America, you can come here, open a watch shop, and go into business. Yep. And then um, – so European watch companies started making like wristwatches and selling those in Europe, and they became popular. But Americans wouldn't wear a wristwatch. Right? Men thought it was effeminate. They just weren't, you know, guys, wow. wore, guys wore a pocket watch. And then the free market system is great because uh, a consortium of Swiss watchmakers um, went to Hollywood with briefcases full of watches and money, gave them to all the celebrities to wear start wearing wristwatches. Yeah. Within five years, every, every guy in this country wanted a wristwatch. American companies didn't keep up, and that's why the American companies went out of business. Wow. It was capitalism. So like a, a lot of industries, we created it. We were the innovators in it. Yeah. But over time, we seemed to lose interest and move along, and other companies seemed to take over that innovation. We can say that about the VCR, right? We can say yeah. that about color television, flat screens. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's, business, it's Darwinism of business, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, there's, you know, I've always talked about this in, you know, in my business and everything. Constantly have to change. You have to move with the times, everything yeah. else like that. Are you will end up being Studebaker? That's right. That's right, which was a great brand, but gone. Yeah. They just didn't yeah. – they didn't – they weren't making products the American public, public wanted and they yeah. didn't innovate. Yeah, you know, when you study Ford, you see Ford. Remember, Ford wouldn't change the color of his car for years. He'd only make the T in black. Well, and his family's fought and fought with him and the other car companies. Finally, he broke down, but he almost lost the company over that at well, that time. Well, you know why he made them all in black? Because um, the um, – he found a guy that made a fast drying paint, but it was only in black, and it really sped up. You know, that was the big hang up in the production line was waiting for the paint to dry. Ah. So, but with a fast drying paint, he could get him through the assembly line much quicker. It not reduced only was, the price, it massively reduced the price, and he got cars to the masses. Wow. Yeah, that's why he had that great line: "You can get any color you want as long as it's black." black. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And his family fought like hell with him yeah. over that, which is fascinating. But he eventually did change his ways, yeah. and, and he wound up doing great. So, when you think about the founding of our country, is there one person that comes to mind who's clearly your favorite, or is oh, it it's a tough George choice? Washington? George Washington was yeah. one of the most amazing men in history. I, I mean, concur. this guy was. Um, uh, no special, you know, beginnings in life. Uh, worked really hard of his life. Um, born was, here in America. Born right? here his family America. was here in the 1600s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, was um, became extremely wealthy. Believe it or not, he was the richest man in the United States. Yep. As a you know, um, just depending, you know, it's really hard to figure wealth from 250 years ago to wealth today because it's just, you know, it's it's all different stuff. Yep. But as a percentage of GDP, he was the richest man in the United States. Wow. He was much more wealthy than uh, Trump. Yep. And Biggest distiller in America. First yeah. distiller in America. Um, more, owned more land than anyone else in the United States. And he literally risked all of that for his ideals. Okay, And we're talking the 1700s. Generally, when you there, – there wasn't such thing as a person that became a ruler of a country and just said, okay, I'm done now. It's I'm going to hand the keys over. That's right. He could have been king. 
Oh, yeah. And people wanted him to be king, as a matter of fact. So he could have stayed. And many people say, and I bet you agree with this, Rick, that the greatest moment in our democracy was done by George, when George, in essence, turned over the White House. Then yeah. the White House. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he turned over the presidency and said, yes. it's time to retire. I, I don't want to set a president. I want to make sure. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that I mean, exchange of power became the heart of America. Yeah, he, uh, no, I mean, uh, like Congress was actually debating what his title should be. They wanted to call yeah. it his excellency, his high, you know, and he, the, the, the story goes, he walked in the room, he says, you will call me Mr. President and nothing else. Yes. Soft-spoken man. You know, when I went to the American Museum of Natural History, his uniform, his Revolutionary War uniform yeah. is there in that plexiglass cabinet and you stand yeah. next to it. Remarkably thin man. I mean, tall, but really, his, he must yeah. have had a 26-inch waist or so. Watch yeah. it. When you look at your- he was in great shape. I got to hold his sword last year, like two years ago. Wow. The one that was actually on his hip. when. You know, wow, what a moment that must have been. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's an amazing when you think about the sacrifices that were made. And, you know, today they're talking about trade with China mm-hmm. and how there might be a sacrifice that farmers need to make to win this war. And how years ago we would have said, you know what, we're going to bear down, we're going to win this, and, you know, we're going to take our hits. Today nobody wants to. Well, I mean, does that worry you? Well, yeah, it does because, like, you know, you have um, the, all these people in the media that uh, it's okay, so you, you have. If, if I'm in business with some money and the other person's cheating, yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to do business with them. We have, you know, they break the. You know, we have trade deals with them. They break them. They steal our technology. All this. If we don't do something about it, they'll just keep on running yeah. over. I mean, it's like the bully in the schoolyard. I mean, you either, eventually you have to stand up to them. You know, I find it interesting as parents. You and I will fight to have, have our children have a better life. But as a society, we're not fighting as hard for the next generation to have a better life. Um, it, it massively works. Well, you also have like, uh, I mean, you just have a media that like hates Trump. So they, if, if he tries to do something good, they make it look bad. Yeah, of course. Okay. You, if you have a tra- if you have a business deal with someone, we have a business deal with China. So hold up to your end of the bargain, or we're not going to deal with you. Yes. You know, I mean, I have a problem dealing with China in general. I mean, they have 1.1 million people in China in re-education camps. Yep. But it's fine doing business with them. I know. There's a lot of issues, too, and they have all sorts of, uh, of power bases here that they're developing and industry controls that they're developing. Does today's political divide worry you? Do you see a difference? Well, I do see a difference because um, you basically have the Democratic Party and the media like completely fine with not – that that whole constitution thing is an archaic thing. Right. We, we don't need that anymore, and we do need that. I mean like, uh, like the, the Nevada legislature uh, – just passed like we're, our electoral votes will just go to whoever's got the majority vote unbelievable it's giving away our voice it's giving away our voice and remember um uh lincoln only got 35 percent of the vote but won the electoral college and became it one would, of the greatest presidents ever it would have been really bad if someone else got in there it's there's a reason why we live in a democratic republic and not a democracy democracy is a terrible thing mm-hmm our founding fathers were completely against it. a democracy in general is mob rule. That means 51% can take away all the stuff of the other That's 29%. Right. Yep. We live in a constitutional republic. And the whole premise of the electoral college is so both the coasts couldn't rule the entire country. It balanced the voice of people. So what would happen is uh, based upon you know three or four states, an entire election could carry. So if more states like Nevada give up their electoral votes to the majority, then five or six states are going to determine the, the, the path of our country. You'll have New York, California. Massachusetts. 
Uh, yeah, you'll basically have like New York, California, Texas. Um, those are the country. Those are the states that's going to run the country. And like, uh, it's not the. There's a reason why it's designed there. And if people that this is one of the pro, other problem I have with like the news. I mean, most people get their news uh, from television, or young people just get it from on their phone. Mm-hmm. It's a much deeper conversation than 15, 15 or thirty seconds with a newscaster talking about something. Sure, the hell is. And uh, and you it, have to have knowledge to speak about it. Yeah. You don't get that knowledge in 15 seconds. I'm completely with you, Rick. Well, it's always fun to have you here, buddy. But we've talked about so much that I'm going to have to cut this interview up. So listen to the podcast next week for the second half of my interview with Rick Harrison. And I'll be right back with audience calls. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Podcast One presents the Gigi Podcast with Rick Fox, Jace Hall, and Todd Roy. Log on to see the world behind the esports you love and find out what good game really means from the trio who's taken the business by storm. Whoopi literally goes, No, I agree with Rick. And she played Diablo. She plays Diablo. She plays Diablo. She's a gamer. Download new episodes of the Gigi Podcast every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Shut it down! All right, John. New week and new callers. Let's do Shut it. it down! All right, John. This is Cliff from Winnipeg, Canada. Cliff, how you doing? Good. How you doing, John? Good. You know, during hockey season, I wouldn't talk to you. I'm only talking to you, buddy, because uh, it's not hockey season. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I hear you. I'm Canadian, so um, <laughs> I'm all about hockey. And uh, we had a pretty good battle there with... Uh, with our two teams there, the Knights and the Jets there last year. We sure did. That's why I'm kidding around with you. Yeah, we got... Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so, 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 so I got to ask you, you guys up in Canada, you guys getting a kick out of the Knights and the immediate success of the team? What is the... Because I've never had a chance to ask a Canadian this. What is your guys' overall impression of the Knights? Uh, I, personally, I think it's great. I mean, you know, the more teams uh, in the NHL, the better, and... What better place than Las Vegas to put uh, a sports, a professional sporting team? Yeah, you did, you, did you? I understand the pop. Sorry, I understand the population is a little low there, about six hundred thousand or six fifty. Is yep. that right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, but uh, yeah. we sold our season tickets. The place is freaking packed every night, and I got to tell you, in the middle of the desert, we are loving our hockey cliff. So. Oh, right. That's <laughs> good to hear, man. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. And when it's I always fun. When the Jets are in yeah, town, I, there's always a bunch of people come in from Winnipeg, you know, because we see you guys wearing the Jet shirts in the arena. So there's a lot okay. of people flying down for the games, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, they, we got some hardcore fans here. They go to games all over the place. <laughs> yep. It's awesome. So did you, watch the, uh, did you watch the Vegas Sharks? Jersey. Did you watch the Sharks Knights playoffs at all? Uh, no, I didn't get a chance to see that series. No. Uh, okay, I was going to ask you about a, a controversial call in there. Anyway, good to talk to you. So, you, you, what did you want to ask me? Oh, I was just—I want to know if you ever um, uh, rescued a bar in Canada. Actually, never on television, but in my career, I, I've actually done a bunch. Uh, I, really? uh, yeah, I did one in BC in Prince George, a big nightclub years okay. ago. I've done four or five in Toronto over the years, maybe a little more. Matter of fact, I put four bars in the underground in Toronto many years ago, uh, uh, all at once for the Sheridan Hotel there. I've done some in Moncton. <laughs> I've done some in Nova Whoa. Scotia. 
I've done some uh, in Calgary. Stampede was a client. I'm sorry, not Stampede. Roadhouse was was a client okay. of mine uh, uh, up in Calgary. So yes, I've done a whole bunch over the years. Vancouver. Uh, I've even given the keynote address at the Canadian Culinary Association conference uh, in Van- oh, wow. in Vancouver. So over my years, yeah, I've actually spent a lot of time in Canada working uh, uh, up north. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah. Um, I was uh, kind of a two-part question. I was wondering, um, would you ever consider rescuing a bar in Canada, or are you done with that now and doing no. other stuff? No. As a matter of fact, we've been talking about it, and it would be a lot of fun to go up and do a few bars. You know, uh, uh, Canada, particularly on the east and west coast and you know, in the middle of Calgary, is very different than America. But what's fascinating about Canada that makes it different than America, Cliff, is the liquor laws. Because the liquor laws, you know, from an American perception, are nutty up there. You can have a liquor license where you can't sit at the bar, you can only stand. You can have a license where you can't stand at the bar, you can only sit. You guys have so many types of liquor licenses up there. It's fascinating. Uh, uh, here it's, you know, you either have an on-premise license or you have an off-premise license. We don't care if you sit and you stand. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. Canada's very, very unique about their liquor licenses. And it, it creates limited competition in each type of bar concept. It's sort of cool, actually. I didn't know that. Wow. Yep. yep. Um, see, in Winnipeg here, like I'm not a, I'm 50 years old now, right? So I'm not a, a bar guy. I'm not a drinker or anything yep. like that. But um I do like to see, you know, nice uh, places and, and whatnot, right? And here in Winnipeg, we don't really have, like, um, a theme kind of bar or yeah. a nightclub or anything like that. Like, there's nothing themed. It's just, you know, your regular... Neighborhood you stuff. You know, if it's... Yeah, if it's a nightclub, it's, yep. you know, the same old uh, nightclub that you could see on every other corner, you know? Yeah. So being 50 years old, be, if there was a place like that, would you go to it? Yeah, I would definitely, if there was a theme place, I would definitely go for meals and, and just, to, you know, to hang out with um, friends and, and yeah. you know, check out the ambience and whatnot, you know. You know, in Calgary, um, the, the Flame opened a restaurant. I don't know if they did it themselves or they licensed it to somebody, but there's a big Flame restaurant in Calgary, you know, right in the downtown area there. Oh, you know, did the Jets ever do anything in town like that? Well, the Jets, uh, the owner, uh, Mark Chipman, um, he just put up um, a big square right behind our arena. Uh-huh. And I think maybe that's what he's going to uh, do there. Maybe a little um, entertainment district, of- something like that. Yeah, it's like when the games are on, everybody could go there and watch the games. They got big screens yep. up there because we got like 15,000 people in the streets right around the arena when yep. the games are on. Yep, and uh, so there's a lot of opportunity there. So I think that's what he's doing when, because he's got, uh, I think, um, two different. Uh, he's got a big hotel going up and whatnot, and then well, that's business a, and retail. And, well, that's a big trend. So even in St. Louis, they have something called Ballpark Village, right, which is right by where the Cardinals play. And th- this is the real trend now: is to build these little entertainment di- districts, so you can create tailgating events, you can create you know big parties before and after the games, and it works even great when when it's not hockey, when it's concerts and other things going on in arena. So that makes an oh, awful I- lot of sense. Absolutely. Like in Toronto, um, I'm not sure if you can go basketball, but uh, the Raptors are in the finals there. And uh, they have also in Toronto a big area. Yep. Been there. 
you know. Yeah, and it's oh, packed. Okay, I've never yeah. been there. And it's busy. It really is. Yep. Anyways, if anybody's listening, we need some theme bars in Winnipeg, and I'll make sure if we go bring Bar Rescue up there, we'll hit Winnipeg. But Cliff, good to talk to you, buddy. Great. All right, John, this is Stephen. Stephen, nice to talk to you, man. It's nice to talk to you. This is is like a nice, uh, this is like a dream. (laughs) Uh, My pleasure. You're in Youngstown. That's one of my favorite towns in Ohio. Oh, yeah, it's very nice. When you came to town, I was like, that was the first time I heard of you. I'm like, and then I watched the episode, and it was like, holy crap, this guy's really good with this stuff. So uh, ever since then, so. Well, I hear from so, the yeah, guys yeah. I hear from the guys at the Federal all the time. I know they're doing pretty well over there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I go there quite often. <laughs> yep. Well, when you do, say hi to them for me. Will do. So what's going on, Steve? So I was reading your note. So you have a bachelor's degree in geography and political science. You helped one of your cousins open a pizza place. You're obviously damn good at it. So you helped them open it. You made it successful. And then you graduated. So tell me then. So now you graduated with the pizza experience and your degree. And then catch me up with what happened then. All right. So I graduated. And then about six months later, I got a job working with a gas company out of town. So I'm still commuting to Akron. It's an hour away. So I'm commuting back and forth every day. At the same time, I would still try to help my cousin's uh, place at the same time, only like on the weekends. I try to work Friday night or Saturday or whatever. But at the same time, I wasn't there all the time. I tried to help get some people in there, like not get people, but try to train some people. Yep. But at the same time, I think it was just too much for him. And uh, he had unfortunately sold it to another pizza company. Uh. Which, yeah, it was, a, it was a bad day that day, but... And I wish I would know what happened. I would have went in real quick and like said, hey, like, because he didn't tell nobody. He told it was like a last minute thing. And I wish I would have known before. I would have said, hey, I would have quit the job and come back and help you out. Yeah. But times, things happen. So it didn't happen. So now you want to open your own. Are. So now you want to open your own? Yes, I would love to. So, so you, know, been, you know what's great thing about a pizza place is it's not very expensive to do. You only need a couple ovens. Right. You don't need a whole bunch of you don't need a huge kitchen with all this type of equipment in it. You know, if you just do pizza, pizza is a very low cost, high profit product. And if you do it well, you can open it pretty cheap. So here's a couple of suggestions because you're going to ask me how to raise the money for it. I'm guessing that's where we're going. Right. So a couple of things. One, you can get used pizza ovens that are completely refurbished and function every bit as good for about half the price. I just wanted to share that with you. So you can mm-hmm. find those at used and refurbished restaurant equipment companies. You don't need to buy everything now. So you can find counters that are used and everything to put it together. You can paint it yourself. You can tile it yourself, right? You can do a lot of work yourself. With you guys handy? You have some friends who are good at that kind of stuff? Actually, my father's a contractor, and like we talk about this all the time. And he's like, because he could build and really anything. I know how to paint and do drywall, so it's like... We go hand in hand with this. So, so, so all you need is so, so all you need is the equipment, and your father can mm-hmm. really help you. So, why wouldn't you say to your dad, "Here's a dad, dad. I need about twenty grand for you to help me build this thing. If you could build it for me, I'll give you sixty percent of the revenues until I pay off the twenty grand." Mm-hmm. Would you consider something like that? Oh yeah, I, yeah. That was one option. That was one thing I was always thinking about too. Doing that, like having like a. Like a not like a silent partner, basically. Yes, but but you know he doesn't have to be a partner. You can say, Dad, lend me twenty. I'll give you back twenty five, and I'll do it. To you. I'll give you seventy percent, sixty percent of the revenues every week, right off the top, until I get you paid off. And now you still own a hundred percent of it, but your dad made five grand. 
got you built. He floats the construction materials and stuff, you know, uh, 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 in his projects and everything. So it's not a big out of pocket for him. Sends his guys in. You do some of the drywall and the painting. I bet you can open this place for about 60, 70 grand. Oh, yeah. That's what I was figuring. I was figuring about 50 to 60 yep. grand. That there month. you go. There you go. Here's the thing, buddy. For a first time, mm-hmm. even though you have experience, it's really hard to raise money for your first one. The only place you really get it is with friends and family. And, and you know, you really got to think about that. So I would sit down and say, you know, look, you know, your dad knows you love this. Your dad knows you were good at it. I would really sit down and talk with him. And don't talk about a partnership. Talk about a short-term loan so you still own 100% of the business. You with me? Mm-hmm. And then, Stephen, it's 100% yours, but work a deal with your dad that, you know, if you can float me the 20 or 30 grand that I need or the 50 grand that I need, I'll get used ovens and used stainless steel. We'll save money that way. Help me build it, and I'll give you the first dollars out and pay you back. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Your dad makes a few dollars. You build the place really efficiently. Right, you don't have any debt other than to your dad. You get it open, and once your dad is paid off, you own a hundred percent of it yourself, Steve. That's what I would mm-hmm. suggest you do. Make sense? Oh yeah, that does. Great. Well, good luck, buddy. And when I'm at, when Youngstown, right. I'm coming by for a slice. Okay. All right, I'll, we'll do. Take care, buddy. Listen, I'd really love it if you'd be on the show. You can challenge me, argue with me, disagree with me, agree with me, whatever you like. But the more challenging, the better. Just send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com, podcast at johntaffer.com. Corey will open those emails. He'll set it up with you. And then you and I will talk on the podcast and we'll have some fun. And by the way, while you're at it, don't forget to hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to podcast.com or the Podcast One app and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Oh, wow. This was a lot of fun this week between the Critics' Choice Award, the Bar Rescue Marathon, the Premier Marriage Rescue, and we're not done yet for the month of June, Corey. No. June 24th, Taffer Mixologist, all seven flavors, rolls out in 4,478 Walmarts across the country. Wow. And I'm really excited about it. I think they're the greatest cocktail mixers on the market. We'll talk about that some more next week. And don't forget our 50th episode giveaway. Here's the deal. All I need you to do is send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com with a screenshot showing that you subscribed to my No Excuses podcast. And my producer, Corey, will randomly pick five winners who are going to get Taffer stickers, a shut-it-down button, a shut-it-down T-shirt, and an autographed Don't Bullshit Yourself book. So do it now. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts. Go to Podcast One or the Podcast One app. Download it now. Take a screenshot. Send it in. And let's give away some buttons and shirts. All right, Corey? Let's do it. This was a lot of fun, everybody. Thank you. Don't forget, next week, my interview with uh, uh, Rick Harrison, Part 2, and a bunch more audience calls. And we'll see you then. Bye-bye.